Welcome to LaGrave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast. In this sermon, we hear about the conflict between prophet, priest, and king. And we also hear how Christ perfectly balances these three. You're listening to Prophet, Priest, and Plumbline by Reverend Christy Mannion. We'll open our Bibles together now to Amos chapter 7. And as we do that, I want to ask for God's blessing on the reading of this word. So Lord our God, as we open your, your word together, open our ears to hear you, open our eyes to see you, open our hearts to understand you, and make our hands quick to respond to you. In Jesus' name, amen. So Amos chapter 7, verses 7, 7 through 17, we're doing a lot of sevens tonight. Um, page 1433 in your pew Bibles. Amos says this, This is what the Lord showed me. The Lord was standing by a wall that had been built true to plumb with a plumb line in his hand. And the Lord said to me, What do you see, Amos? A plumb line, I replied. Then the Lord said, Look, I'm setting a plumb line among my people Israel. I will spare them no longer. The high places of Isaac will be destroyed. The sanctuaries of Israel will be ruined. With my sword, I will rise against the house of Jeroboam. Then Amaziah, the priest of Bethel, sent a message to Jeroboam, the king of Israel. Amos is raising a conspiracy against you in the very heart of Israel. The land cannot bear all of his words. For this is what Amos is saying. Jeroboam will die by the sword. Israel will surely go into exile, away from their native land. Then Amaziah said to Amos, Get out, you seer. Go back to the land of Judah. Earn your bread there. Do your prophesying there. Don't prophesy anymore at Bethel. This is the king's sanctuary. This is the temple of the kingdom. Amos answered Amaziah, I was neither a prophet nor the son of a prophet, but I was a shepherd and I took care of sycamore fig trees. But the Lord took me from tending the flock and said to me, go, prophesy to my people Israel. Now then, Hear the word of the Lord. You say, do not prophesy against Israel and stop preaching against the descendants of Isaac. Therefore, this is what the Lord says. Your wife will be reduced to prostitution in the city. Your sons and daughters will fall by the sword. Your land will be measured up and divided. And you yourself will die in a pagan country. Israel will surely go into exile, away from their native land. This too is the word of the Lord. As I spent time in this passage this week, I was reminded of a public interaction about two years ago between Pastor John MacArthur and well-known writer and speaker Beth Moore. 
happened in the fall of 2019. And what happened was that Pastor John MacArthur was having a celebration of 50 years of his preaching career, and he was in a public interview, and one of the interviewers asked him what came to mind when he heard the name Beth Moore. And spontaneously and dismissively, Pastor John MacArthur said that Moore should, quote, go home. And by that, he meant that she should not use her voice, she should not use her ministry gifts during Sunday worship because her gender made her unsuitable for that task. And as that interview unfolded, there was some giggling and there was some um, outdoing of one another as people tried to kind of continue this joke about women and leaders, uh, about Beth Moore specifically, but about also other women and leaders in the church and in society. And so this public uh, kerfluffle prompted Beth Moore to respond, because if this happens publicly, you kind of have to say something in response. And so she said that she didn't surrender to a human calling when she dedicated her life to ministry as a young adult. And she said that she would, quote, follow Jesus and Jesus alone all the way home. So it was a sad day, I think, for the Big C Church Universal to see this kind of dust up um, this kind of interaction between high-profile, influential voices in American Christian subculture as they undercut Moore, whose ministry um, has encouraged countless Christians to open their Bibles and to get to know the God of the Bible. There's certainly room for dissenting uh, opinions about biblical interpretation and qualifications for ministry, there's not as much room for disparaging another Christian's gifts and service. And so up front, I'm not saying, you should know, that I'm not saying that our, um, this occurrence in 2019 has direct parallels to each of the characters in our story for tonight, but there was this resonance that I heard between um, this public dust-up here and now and this, this story from so long ago that I thought, oh, that puts me in the emotional place, perhaps, of where Amos was feeling there in the temple at Bethel. So Amos, the prophet of God, and Amaziah, the priest, go toe-to-toe -to -toe together in this passage under the reign of King Jeroboam. And one is delivering a message on the authority of God for the kingdom of Israel. And the other one is put in this hard spot, actually, of trying to figure out just what to do as the message that Amos brings threatens the established ways and means of worship in Israel. So let's read Amaziah with a little sympathy first. It's around 760 BC in the Northern Kingdom of Israel and Amaziah the priest is in a tough spot because he's grown used to coming into the temple in Bethel every morning with a spring in his step and a song in his heart because everything's going great at this time for Israel. Amaziah is not doing too bad for himself either. 
By all accounts, the long reign of King Jeroboam II has been wildly successful. If you had a newspaper from that day, the headlines would tell you the story. Jeroboam conquers Damascus, borders secured and established farther than any other king in Israel's history. Economic outlook bright as Phoenicia and Egypt sign a trade agreement. Census Bureau reports Israelites are living longer and having bigger families. Prominent citizens have grown wealthy. Amaziah certainly can't complain about the trickle-down effect into those temple coffers either. Everything was going fine until Amos showed up. This prophet from the southern kingdom is a grade A disturber of the peace and a pain in the priest's neck. So Amaziah lets himself into the temple courts and he sighs a little bit. Amos isn't there yet, but Amaziah can picture him up where he always stands to bring his messages, antagonizing Amaziah. He would say things like this, for three sins of Israel, even for four, God will not relent. You sell the innocent for silver, the needy for a pair of sandals. You trample on the heads of the poor as on the dust of the ground. You deny justice to the oppressed. So then, says the Lord, I will crush you as a cart crushes when loaded with grain. <sighs> so Amaziah wonders to himself just what that message will be today. In the months since Amos has been around Bethel, these messages have gotten more and more grim. In fact, just recently, Amos announced that the Lord was not going to relent any longer. Look, the Lord is setting a plumb line among the people of Israel. I will spare them no longer. The high places of Isaac destroyed. Sanctuaries of Israel ruined. With my sword, I will rise against the house of Jeroboam. And Amaziah decides he's had just about enough of this. And so he summons all of his priestly authority and he sits down at his desk and he pulls out a pen and he writes a letter. Dear King Jeroboam, may the king live forever. I thought it worth your attention, O king, to send word that the prophet, Amos, is conspiring against you from right here in the heart of your kingdom. In my view, the national interests are at stake. Amos claims you'll be killed and that Israel will be exiled. I'm sure you'll agree that we cannot have this any longer. And so I await your orders. Your devoted servant, Amaziah. So Amaziah seals up the letter and sends it off with the writer. And while he waits for a word back, he calls in Amos for another meeting. He does not offer Amos a glass of water. He does not ask Amos to be seated. Amos of Tekoa, so-called prophet, go home, get out, run away, don't come back. 
Just how did Amaziah the priest find himself here in this public confrontation with a prophet of God from Judah? Aren't priests and prophets members of the same team? Shouldn't they be? To answer that, we've got to go back a long time. About 200 years before the reign of this Jeroboam, Jeroboam II, there was a first Jeroboam, Jeroboam I. And he had ruled as the first king of Israel under the divided uh, monarchy. And that King Jeroboam inaugurated a day that would live in infamy. He, brought, he thought about the 10 northern tribes of Israel making their pilgrimages south to Jerusalem for worship. And he got anxious. He thought to himself, if, if all of these people make the trek down to Judah, they will be likely to stay there and give their allegiance to King Rehoboam down in Judah. I can't have that. You can read about it in 1 Kings 12 if you want to. So Jeroboam subjected the worship of God, how God had asked the people to worship him, to his own interests for a new nation, for what would keep that nation together and keep it safe. So he took it upon himself to establish these worship centers in, within Israel's borders, in Bethel and in Dan. He set up shrines with golden calves and said, look, Israel, these are your gods who brought you out of Egypt. The writer of 1 Kings doesn't sugarcoat things when he says, this thing became a sin, a fault line that ran throughout Israelite faith into the future. If you go on and you read more of 1 Kings and 2 Kings, you'll see a lot of references to the sin of Jeroboam, and that's what the writer is talking about. Additionally to setting up the golden calves, Jeroboam also decided to appoint priests himself. He didn't choose them from the tribe of Levi, which God had told him to do. He chose them at his will. And I'm just thinking that a smart king would probably want to appoint influential people to the priesthood who were also loyal to the crown. So, Enter Amaziah all these years later, serving at the shrine of God, not of God, in Bethel, the shrine. He has inherited anemic worship traditions. They answer to the king rather than to God. He's inherited an anemic relationship with the Lord. He doesn't see himself at all as a priest who intercedes for the people to God and who represents God to the people. The most priestly thing about Amaziah is his title. The way he thinks about temple and worship is clear when he says to Amos, this is the king's sanctuary, the temple of the kingdom. For all the distortions of true worship of God in Israel, Right here, Amaziah is telling the truth. The temple at Bethel wasn't constructed under the Lord's direction or for his service. It was for the king. So, what is the sovereign Lord of all of history to do when the priests no longer know him? 
Who will have mercy on those people who can't know him? God could have left his people alone to wreck their nation, to ruin their lives. He could have taken the posture of a fed-up parent who just turns away and says, you are just beyond, you are just beyond. I can't even handle you anymore. I'm walking away. God has been forbearing for a long time. But God doesn't do that. When a priest who should have represented God to the people and the people to God, when he fails, God sends a prophet. God sends rescue. In this case, a foreign prophet, no less. God will not let them alone. That truth that if God's people are not getting what they need through the established ways and means, God will work it out in another way. That truth is sobering for me as a pastor. If I fail you, when I fail you, God will come after you in ways that I can't. That's terrifying. It's also freeing. We're human. We'll do our best. But God has you. So after being told by a faithless priest that he must go back home, Amos answers Amaziah, I was neither a prophet nor the son of a prophet. I'm not a professional prophet. I was a shepherd and I took care of sycamore fig trees. But the Lord took me from that flock and said to me, go and prophesy to my people Israel. My people Israel. So there he comes, Amos, with a plumb line in his hand, holding it up right in the heart of Israel, showing the people, wow, things are really out of true here. This is not, your lives are not showing that you know the one true God. So let's kind of look at that again, because it's not lining up. And through this conflict between the priest and the prophet, through all of the words of judgment in Amos, and there are a lot of them, the Lord is pursuing his people. He's chasing them down, not with a love that's soft and tender, but with a love that roars. Amos isn't the first person or the last person to find himself caught between human authorities and the inner compass of the still small voice of God. There were always testing with other faithful people. He's not the first person or the last person to find that human life is out of joint when we measure it against God's standards. So how do we, how do we do this as people of God, navigating tensions between our faithfulness to God and living as broken people in a broken world? Well, it's hard. When your workplace has certain expectations and your conscience has others, it's hard. When your family values togetherness a lot 
and you're sensing a call to go far away to serve in some capacity, it's hard. It takes humility, the light of God's word and his spirit for us to recognize that we can't live up to God's standards, that we did and do and always will need saving, and that everyone else around us does too. It takes prayer and courage to find our way with God in the face of opposition. It takes discernment with trusted and godly people. And like heroes of the faith that we think of, we may come to a place where we have to say, here I stand. I can't do otherwise. God, help me. Jewish tradition holds that although King Jeroboam II respected Amos and tried to protect him, the priest, Amaziah, lost patience. The tradition is that Amos preached God's message for about a year, and then he was executed by Amaziah. Amos's name means burden, and he carried that burden of God's message for his people until he died. And he makes us think of another person who came 800 years later, made a journey from far away into the temple courts, this time in Jerusalem. Like Amos, this prophet came teaching and preaching only what the Father told him to say. Like Amos, he came in opposition to any authority that set itself up against the one true God. Like Amos, he came with a burden for his people that cost him his life. In Jesus, friends, there is no conflict between priest and prophet and king. He's all three. At the same time, He does it perfectly. Nobody else can. As a prophet, Jesus tells the clear-eyed truth about our sin and our separation from God. And as our priest, he intercedes for us. He's praying for us now. Additionally, he laid down his own life as priest so that we could be right with God. And as our highest king, his rule makes us new, suitable, as citizens of a kingdom that is not of this world. (sighs) Such a prophet, priest, and king, worthy of all of our praise. Let's pray together. Lord our God, you are great and we are small. You are holy, and we are not. And we come to you with gratitude that you are our God, and you've called us by your name. In Jesus we pray. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Grave Avenue CRC's Sermon Podcast.